0: Spencer, Um, do you want to do a sound check? mine appears to be coming through okay.
1: Mine's
0: fine. Hello all, and welcome to another episode of Mangum Reads. With me this evening, I have Spencer. How's it going, Spencer? Going well, PJ. Enjoying this change of pace. I'm sure you do. And Sarah?
1: Hey, PJ.
0: How's it going?
1: Just great. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Um, Today, we are uh, finally returning after a uh, brief hiatus, mostly due to Con of Thrones, which I hear you tell was uh, reasonably enjoyable, Mm -hmm. Um, and today we are talking about... likeness and so um, in dereliction of his duties spencer david decided to delegate the difficult dialogue to may and today we delight in duplicitous and devilish scheme driven by the death of a detective's doppelganger the dynamic detective undertakes a daring deceit to discover the identity of her doubles dagger wielding killer dain to on our discussion dealing with the dawn of this drama bravo sir bravo (laughs) i I am duly impressed (laughs) Uh, uh, sorry, duly delighted. <laughs> well, I figured I'd do what I can.
2: I'm also, discovering my bottle of cream soda that I have is not a twist top as I hoped. That's okay. gross. I, I, I can make this work. Oh, come on. It's delightfully vanilla-y. Uh,
0: there's no such thing. Anyway, um, so we're, we're going to be talking about The Lightness by Tana French. And in going through the Wikipedia on things about Tana French, I found some weird things. First of all, she was born in Vermont, which I didn't quite expect, but she does live in Dublin. I kind of expected her to be Irish. Um, She grew up in a number of places, and the last sentence of her uh, personal life on the Wikipedia page says, she's retained dual citizenship of the U.S. and Italy. (laughs) You know, I was indeed
2: expecting her to be more Cassie and less Lexi, but okay, that's, that's fine. I can adjust with that.
0: Yeah. Um... So so she did go to Trinity College um and trained in acting um ended up uh becoming a writer in her late 30s um and uh for the first book in the uh Dublin Murder Squad um uh, which is in the woods she won quite a number of uh awards for it namely the Edgar the Anthony the Barry and the MacCaffey and what are those I, uh their, Those are awards. They're awards. So, the only
1: one I know is the Edgar, because that's so so the, it's the Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Pile.
0: So yeah. that's reasonable. The Anthony Awards are literary awards presented by the Bouchercon World Mystery Convention since 1986, named after Anthony Boucher. Boucher. Okay. Boucher. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The Barry is a crime literary prize since 1997. Um, named after Barry Gardner.
1: Not illuminating at all. Yeah,
2: we are flirting with a genre that we clearly <laughs> have no experience
1: with.
0: Yeah, um, and then another, the other last one is one that's sort of um, awarded by the members of Mystery Readers International, and the award is named after the mystery cat of T. S. Eliot's Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats,
1: which is what the meow cats.
0: Really mm-hmm. interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I can was... you didn't know
1: that, Spencer.
2: No, I thought it was just pulled out of Weber's Madness. I didn't think it actually came from somewhere. No,
1: it's, it's Elliot's Old Possum's Book of Practical...
0: Did not know that. Mm-hmm. Um, Spencer, have you not read Elliot's Practical Cats? I will offer and concede
2: I have never even heard of it. I am very much inclined to pull it up right now, though, while we're
1: talking. DJ, <laughs> this is a good night for us.
0: Yeah, this is a good <laughs> night for us. Um... So, so, uh, maybe that'll need to be a short story or whatever it is in the future. Um,
1: Oh, a bonus pod. Yeah.
0: Bonus, (laughs) bonus pod about practical cats. (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just found it fairly interesting. I mean, I've read some in the, in the crime genre, but I feel like what I've read kind of doesn't count since it's, you know, the, the really big name um like earl Stanley gardner uh oh well i feel like he's cheating because i'm gonna say asimov even though he's because he's written everything it's true um and and agatha christie and i I feel like gardner and christie are just like not fair like yes i've read a bunch of their stuff but like sure anything you have to read in school to get a passing
2: grade in a class probably doesn't really count for literary exploration that was forced essentially at gunpoint. Really? You had to what read was, yeah, what Christie? Was
1: forced
2: on you? I mean, I very much enjoyed it, but I had to read several Christie to make it through my, my uh, various English courses going through really? middle and high school. That does not make any sense to me. I had an English teacher that made us not only read, but perform Ten Little Indians. Interesting.
1: That's very
2: um, interesting. No, but not for you guys? You'd have to read either Christie or Gardner going through school?
1: No, not yeah. at all. <laughs> like I think I'm... I probably did some sort of um, voluntary book report on an Agatha Christie novel but it was never like on a syllabus
0: yeah I, I think the only time I read something that I would deem sort of enjoyable fiction was again a book report that I sort of got to choose what I wrote on and somehow convinced uh, a teacher that reading The Hobbit would was a useful thing of my time in high school um,
1: well I think that's fair yeah. <laughs> I, thi- I think uh, i
2: think it's properly I, classic literature by, by a lot of definitions
0: yeah that's true but definitely not written for uh, a high school audience anyway um no, but but no. today we're trying to read or we're trying to discuss having read probably almost a month ago now the likeness uh, by <laughs> the
2: French. uh yeah
0: uh, and so uh, I think we're going to, as sort of usual, break this up into about three parts. Um, I don't know that there's a lot of theories and things to go along with that, so we I don't think we'll have a fourth pod, but you know, we'll, we'll see when we get there. Um, and this book sort of broke up into three sort of natural parts. Um, basically, the, the main character before she's instilled as uh, an undercover agent, when she's undercover... Um, and then there's a reveal about two-thirds to three-quarters of the way in that I feel like really changes the um, it's the apex of, of the novel leading to the, the denouement. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's fair. Um, speaking of undercover, I have a cocktail.
0: Oh, the, the trend continues. Is, what,
1: what do you have? It is now an appropriate time. So yeah. I have... Um, A cocktail that... And and BJ, you sent me a cocktail um, a couple weeks ago at the beginning of this (laughs) process. And I have kind of spent the time since then then, lacklusterly trying to locate an olive liqueur. um, Ah. And I have not found it in North Carolina or in Tennessee. So the search continues. Um, So I'm not drinking that tonight. That cocktail is called a doppelganger, and I'm going to try my best to (laughs) get there at some point. Um, I was going to say, I feel
0: like some olive juice might be like a...
1: (laughs) Yeah, it might. Um, And when I asked the woman in the little liquor shop in Nashville if she had me olive liqueur, um, she looked (laughs) at me like I had grown a second head. Um, But, so what I am drinking is I found a recipe for a cocktail called Undercover Agent, and I didn't have any of the ingredients for it, and none (laughs) of the ingredients were appropriate to the story that we're reading. Um, so I took it as a very loose, um, I, I created a very loose interpretation of it. So it was supposed to be tequila and blood orange liqueur and basil and a sort of blood orange shrubby thing, um, that, none of which I had. And tequila in Ireland are not like natural, <laughs> <laughs> naturally connected. Um, so I have an Irish whiskey and hmm. a beetroot liqueur and muddled basil all shaken uh, with a little lime juice and then topped off with some tonic water.
0: Interesting. Hmm. And
1: so that's what I'm calling an undercover agent.
0: I've, given I've, that it that, was supposed seems to be and
1: now it's not.
0: Um, I guess in, in deference to um, the, the Irish nature of this uh, story, I am not drinking scotch. Um, I am drinking bourbon, though. So, eh. What can you do? Um, I think that's and, more
1: acceptable than scotch, quite honestly. Yeah.
0: So, so so I was going to make a bad joke, since it is Russell's, that we're trying to rustle up her uh, murderer, but I feel like that's overstepping certain bounds.
1: <laughs> and yet you have still said it.
0: Yeah, I have. Um, and Spencer is drinking cream soda, which I, I don't know, is that in deference to just being like a college student and putting any poison into your face that you can find?
2: Uh, Well, no, that's an example of A, not being able to drink the water, which, thank you, Florida, and B, uh, what I I have is a cream soda in one hand and a Heineken in the other, which I'm not really sure what thematically I'm going for there. It's not a good flavor mix, but it's what I had.
1: It does, that feels like the worst possible version of the punch that they drink at a sort of later date in this Hmm. novel. Yes,
3: yes it
2: is. It, yeah. it, it these flavors do not mix well. It is like oil and water pooling in my mouth. But I have them. There. It's a mix between sweet and intoxicating, and I'm going
0: with that. So you're saying you're draining the swamp into your
2: mouth? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Going on.
0: Um. Yeah. So, um. I, I feel like we should just hop into to the book, and and I, I feel weird about talking about this in some ways because um, I feel like there's less plot in in large sections and more sort of character interactions mm-hmm. um I, I feel like i can sort of sum up the first third of the book with um cassandra maddox um the the detective that is essentially the main character in this book um gets called to a murder uh chats a bunch with uh, the head of undercover has some very awkward conversations and then against the, the wishes of her boyfriend goes undercover. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, um,
2: it's, it, because it's a mystery, so much of the actual plot of this book is purposefully hidden. As you said, majority of what occurs is character interactions so that the main character and the audience can find what the plot is. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it, as you said, it's hard to talk about it to a great degree because most of which is just trying to unravel what is the nature of this knot, particularly where how we approached this of where we're coming in on the second book, that it almost feels we're doing a mystery within a mystery because we've got an entire backstory of a character that we're—I'm not sure to what degree the author intended for it for intended for it us for it to be hidden from us.
0: Yeah, but, uh, but it so makes for this, an
2: interesting no past uh, no past reading.
0: Yes, which is uh, appropriate for the later parts of this book, mm-hmm. um, but. Basically, there's this thing that's referenced, this Operation Vestal, where Mm -hmm. um, we sort of find out later in the book that Cassie was stabbed by somebody and uh, had a falling out with her partner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just sort of holds a cloud over Cassie, who she is, how she feels about... Uh, being a cop, being a detective, going undercover, sort of all of those things.
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's worth noting that um, Operation Vestal occurred while she was undercover. Um, and so she essentially went from a sort of undercover agent to working on the murder squad to now, when at the beginning of this novel, she is in domestic violence. Um, and we learn very quickly that, like, that... What feels very much in her mind, I think, like a fall from grace, um, is a pretty driving motivation.
0: Yeah. Um, Even if she doesn't
1: recognize it as such, we'll say. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So um, the novel basically starts out with her getting a frantic call from her boyfriend who is um, a murder detective and basically, are you okay? You know, call me back as soon as you can. Um, And
2: go ahead. Yeah, even before that, I mean, one of the best parts I found about this book was the very haunting um, intro prologues. Yeah, the prologue
1: um, is, is really extraordinary as of kind of what it is doing for us.
2: Because as- all of this book is essentially written in retrospect. It's as if uh, Cassie's kind of writing down a journal or even a, po- a post-operation police report in perhaps too uh, flowery detail as to what occurred over this Operation Mirror. And this prologue really lets us know very early on that this did not go well. That this is a person that is writing, writing sometime distantly in the future, still trying to effectively cope and come to terms with what occurred on this operation, and it is a delightful, almost ghost story opening as she's wandering through the memories of this time. In some ways, trying almost to get back to it in a nostalgia motivated um, pursuit. So, I, yeah, as you, as you said, uh, Sarah, it is really draws you in interestingly um, in a way I hadn't expected for what uh, this book was going to be.
1: And it's interesting because I was actually thinking about it a little bit in terms of the short story that we read in our last episode um, Mm. because Welcome to Your Authentic Indian Experience TM um, simply because the prologue is so concerned with sensory memory, um, mm-hmm. and with the very specific way that um, smells and touches and tastes really work on evoke memory for better or worse, which is which is part of what we were discussing in terms of doing these kind of virtual reality immersive experience in the pod in that short story. Um, but here we have it in real visceral, this is how her memory is working in real time, um, right? which I thought was interesting.
2: Yeah, it's a very accurate description. It's, it's interesting, too, that her memory cannot Remember doesn't really attempt to put the people back into the scenario. It's mm-hmm. the house that she remembers and the various scents and smells that encapsulate the house. But the people are in many ways forever lost to her, perhaps as a result of where this story goes. But yeah. it's a. It, yeah, yeah, sorry, I was going to say.
0: Yeah, exactly, and how it ends up. And I don't know. I also thought just the um, fluidness of her character
3: mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm-hmm. That, that it talks about and how she's. Sort of not fully set in this reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that broach is a, a good bit, of, an interesting point of
2: plot to start on Where I think one of the main plot that we have laid out in the early part of this book is our main character herself, Cassie. Uh, what what can we really say about her or where she comes from that int- that invites her into this story? And in my mind, sets her as probably one of the worst people possible they could put into the role as an <laughs> undercover detective.
0: Uh, yeah. So basically, she is an orphan. She lost her parents at a very young age. Um, She's also sort of vaguely Irish. She's half French, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so doesn't have the same ties to Ireland, doesn't have the same ties to any given place, because not only is she not fully Irish, as apparently many of the other people around are, she also, because she lost her parents, doesn't have anywhere near as much of a connection to... The things and places around her that other people you do, okay. and so she's not quite as grounded. She, as the... she even, yeah, Go ahead. She,
2: she even talks about how because she was being raised by I think it was her aunt and uncle, I mm-hmm. think it was, or yes. mm-hmm. that she is very not that they were in any way cold to her, but they were anything but warm. They were just not used to the idea of a child living in their home. So mm-hmm. much of her childhood was spent very much unto herself, inventing her own reality to fill the various gaps that she'd lost as a result of the death of her parents and what that life would have been. It so she talks brings to yeah?
0: mind a, a
2: monster calls. It does, doesn't it? Um, so she invents siblings. She invents stories. She invents backgrounds. She almost describes her childhood as being a training ground for the undercover job that she would eventually find with Frank and, uh, And it means that, as you said, she has a very flexible sense of self. Her her sense of self is just something that she writes uh, as she goes. It's just because that's how she coped in her childhood with dealing
0: with what life was bringing to her. Yeah. I I find it... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, I find it interesting that characters um, that you read about, and sometimes they have a very distinct sense of self and very solid sense of self, and sometimes they don't. And... um, it's also it interesting meeting people that don't have as solid a sense of self um, and seeing them interact with different groups of people and how that changes. Mm-hmm. And you can see it a little bit with this story, but a little but I feel like most of it is sort of covered up by the fact that she's going undercover. And I think that it's something that um, Tana French probably, Really relates to having trained as as an actress.
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm. And, you know, I think it's interesting. We've spent a lot of time over the past few kind of things, texts that we've read and discussed, talking about sort of point of view and where the narrative is coming from and what that does um, in terms of the novel and our place in it and all of that. And given that we are talking about Cassie as someone with such a fluid sense of self it is particularly interesting in terms of like our readerly subject position uh, that this is a first person narrative. Um, true. And so we are put in her subject um, and in her head, even as we watch her and kind of experience her flowing in and out of these different types of identity. Um, mm-hmm. And we get a real first person view of like just how deeply she goes into um, these, these sort of identities that are, that are not, really Cassie. Hmm. Yeah.
2: And uh, in terms of her professional career, um, we see her earliest flirtation with this um, concept of identity uh, as part of being a police officer when she runs into the delightfully stereotypically (laughs) named Frank Mackey. (laughs) Uh, Yeah who is apparently a legendary police officer in the undercover community, has dealt with the IRA, has dealt with every, every major professional gang or organized crime element in Ireland, and overcome them all, succeeded in spite of all things, the classic rogue detective. And after she apparently, I think it's drops out of college, joins the police force, gets trained up, she as a young recruit catches the eye of Frank as part of essentially <laughs> what, BJ? <laughs> just,
0: just another turn of phrase that...
2: Yeah, well, it, to be fair, it, when I was originally starting this book, I assumed that Turner phrase would be more accurate than it ended up being. Of where this was, it, it, if this book had gone a different way, it could have been very much setting itself up as a kind of love triangle situation <laughs> between Frank, Sam, and her. And it is kind of just not in that kind of romantic between the yeah, two of them kind relationship, of way. but not love triangle. Yeah, it is an attention right.
1: triangle. I think that's,
2: yep. that's an accurate way of putting that. But she, as a young recruit, is recruited by Frank Mackey to go back to Trinity University to go undercover as a college student to get involved and uh, work her way into a a, um, a drug operation. Yep. And we see in those early chapters, when you get Frank, just how natural this idea of creating identity on the fly is for her, of where it's very, you can just feel her delight as she's just going through writing pages of history, creating an entire persona on page to then apply to her.
0: Well, and uh, as... But it's a lot of it's referencing like her imaginary life that she made up while she was sad and depressed alone with her rotten yeah, we- uncle. So so like I I actually wonder how much she enjoys doing it now and how much is it's you know, falling back into an old rut.
2: Yeah, we've talked before with a lot of our stories, including your authentic Indian experience, TM, about the idea of wish fulfillment. And there seems like almost an element of that, of where she's making all of the imaginings of her childhood truly come to life in a real person who has an identity, who has documents, who has confirming pacers, pa- papers, who she will embody in a matter of moments once once they're fully put to page. Uh, but yeah, but sorry, that, go on, sorry.
1: Well, that comes back to sort of bite her in the ass because, like, the... The idea that she is using all of this kind of preset, fabricated, um, imaginative storytelling just inevitably blurs the lines, kind of what is her undercover self and what is is her real self, because that was always blurry to begin with.
2: Yeah, and from Frank's perspective, I'm sure he would see that as an asset, but he has a very... single-minded focus for what he wants out of Cassie, wants out of his various operatives. For her, this original operation with Frank Mackey does not seem to go along that long. Like, she's undercover for a few months, she gets stabbed, and she she establishes a new career in murder. And then something happens that we only get a few more details about as we go over this story. Mm -hmm. The Operation Vestal that is described.
0: Yeah, and we don't get enough details to, like, really know... What happened, and, and it's just sort of scuttlebutt in the office that, that mm. people are like, Oh, you were involved with that. Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Um, All we seem to get for certain is that she had a partner, Rob, I believe it was.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, she, who she was dearly close with two peas in a pod, two aspects of the same mind, and that something about this operation ruined whatever they were. It's possibly that they had consummated a relationship together. Uh, and that something that they did, some mistake that they made, meant that someone who was guilty, dead to guilty, got away with it. And that whatever happened, it has been a massive disaster that still is reverberating through her career and the world around her, and that particularly emotionally, she has not recovered. And so where we find her at the start of this story is in a state of where her identity, she seems like a person who very much puts a lot of her identity into her work or gets her identity out of her work, her sense of worth and self, that sense of identity has been fundamentally destabilized. She's left murder, which she was very much fond of, very much part of who she was. She's gone to domestic violence, seemingly in self-exile to escape from what she feels is a failing of herself and what went wrong in the murder department. And as you were saying, BJ, where the story starts, she's suddenly confronted with a situation when she's at one of the low points of how she feels about herself and who she is. And this is a... uh, a particular series of events that can only disturb
0: that concept even further. Yeah, um, I was quickly looking at uh, In the Woods, and there's a weirder outturn that probably drives a wedge between Rob and Cassie. Um, mm. Anyway, um, so there are a couple of things that, uh, apart from, I think we should actually work through a little bit more of the plot than than my 30-second uh, <laughs> summary uh, covered, but um, there are a few things that that I wanted to touch on, maybe as we do it or or afterwards, which is um, a three theme throughout this book, and we get two of the first um, glimpses of this is uh, the personality of places, yeah, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I feel like the first third of this book that we're discussing today was um, incredibly thin, except for those. Um, like I guess I didn't really feel the any of the interactions were particularly real between, or, or particularly three dimensional. They you know they were real but kind of like very surface between um, Cassie and Frank and Cassie and Sam her her boyfriend who who this case is and who sort of started this whole thing and you know the other detectives that that she interacts with um, and just. Sort of particularly, like, the the interaction with her and Frank seemed very um, uh, serial yeah. police TV show, and, you know, it was a little bit like he pushed all her buttons, and she, you know, she's a strong, independent woman that don't, don't need no man, but exactly went along with whatever he said, <laughs> even though she was like, well, I'm going to tell you to fuck off whenever I feel like it, except mm-hmm. she doesn't. Um, and she's,
2: she's consciously aware of the fact she's being manipulated and just kind of is yeah. still feeling compelled yeah. to go along with it well, yeah it's
1: sort of yeah i mean the first to your point bj the first part of the first third of this book really feels like a sort of thinly veiled setup of like i have to sort of Tana of french saying i have to get to a point where i can do what i actually want to do but it's going to be a little awkward because the setup of this whole operation is like a little ridiculous um yeah yeah but
0: i i guess it's i feel like it could have been done in a different way and i guess like i don't see that enough of the point of this opener um but i mean i guess i appreciate how she talks about places and so mm-hmm. you, um, yeah, you you had
2: a wonderful observation when you were going through a various uh, uh texts back and forth where you said like the first third of this book or most of this book is just centered around describing the places where people are talking um and I thought that was a very accurate description. She she does a very interesting job of describing the apartment rooms that they're in, the houses that they go to, even the various buildings where the, where the meetings are occurring. Yep. Seems a key part of the world that she's building, and she does that well.
0: Yes. Um, so um, I guess I quickly want to go over how we get to this point. So after Sam calls her and worried, she calls him back, um, basically says, you know, show up in like some weird clothing. She arrives. He's thankful that she's okay she quickly finds out that this woman that's been murdered is her double Um, and so just
1: just in terms of place like this body is found in a um abandoned shed in the middle of a field in a very small town outside of dublin
0: A yeah, famine was, home or something yeah, they call it? Yeah, a famine house or something like yeah. that. And so I assume that's like during the potato famine, there were mm-hmm. a lot of abandoned buildings because people died or, or moved in with family or whatever, or moved out of the countryside where there wasn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Is, isn't the population of Ireland still smaller now than it was back in
1: 1850?
2: I think so. Just, that that, just that, that sounds a, I've, I've
0: read that reasonable.
2: Before. But, yeah, I, mean, I have
1: read that before as well, but I can't remember which year I read that in. So. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, if I read that 20 years ago, it might have been true then, but...
1: So it, it, at some point in the recent past, that was true.
2: Mm-hmm. We'll go with that. Sure. But it, it makes for a very haunting place for it, of where it is a it is a decayed home where the body is being almost put on display. It's almost The body's almost laying across an altar or something when they find it, mm-hmm. essentially, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, n- not laying across an altar. I think just sort of like propped the, up in a room. the visual I have of it. <laughs> uh, and and that's... very
1: clearly not where where this person was actually. Um, right. Yes, like it, is, so... it is clear that the body has moved and, and propped up, as you say. It's been moved kind of out of the rain. Um, it had rained the night before and the body is dry. That kind of thing.
2: It, it catches their eye how diligently it was all set up too. in the sense that the wallet and keys have been cleaned in her pockets and then put mm-hmm. back in there. The floor has been carefully brushed. The body has been Put out in a very different kind of place. This is a murder, but clearly one of where either how it happened or how it was or what was done afterwards had a certain amount of care put into play.
1: Yeah, the thing they seem to sort of focus on the most is how much time the killer or at least the person who found the body um, would have had to have spent with the body, kind of, put- yeah, as well as
2: how long the victim was alive after right. whatever injury occurred.
0: Yep. Um- by the way, so in 1841, <laughs> oh, God, the population <laughs> was six and a half million, and it is currently about four and a half or five. Oh okay. Jesus!
2: Okay, still true.
0: Yeah.
1: Was that the case before the financial downturn?
0: Um, I was gonna say I believe um, it hasn't changed that significantly. Okay. Um. Since so 19 from 1960 to present there's been like a 1.2 percent annual increase on average i think it is so okay. it hasn't changed all that much so,
2: so you can definitely picture that there are still just vast swaths of abandoned property sitting across mm-hmm. ireland because yeah <laughs> the population is diminished and concentrated to that point yeah
0: yeah it's impressive
2: um anyway well as you said she has found her double and not just simply in appearance this woman has seemingly assumed the fake identity that she and Frank created. She yep. has an ID in her pocket. She's at Trinity University. Is, it, is she at Trinity? I'm confl- conflating the two. Is Trinity the same thing as the other because They talk about two different colleges. No, it's not the
0: same. No, where are they? Um, They are... Oh. Uh, it's not that helpful. Is it, is it is the University Wikipedia of Dublin? It might be. University
2: College Dublin. That was yeah, where she was there. sent in the drug ring. All right. Yeah, University College Dublin. So th- th- this this doppelganger of hers has taken the has taken the diligent efforts to perfectly mirror her appearance, get an ID, assume the role as a student again, and stepped into the fake life that she created, and was pulled out of at the at the, at the edge of a
0: knife. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so the other side of it is um, the explanation for her uh, disappearance in the old case is that she had some like. Emotional mental breakdown b- emotional yes. breakdown and went back to Canada.
1: Yes. because
2: yeah, um, they, they'd written in that her father was like a
0: Canadian diplomat or ambassador yes. or something.
1: Mm-hmm. And so she had a sort of easy out if she needed to be pulled out. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, basically the, this her doppelganger found the perfect lie to take up because any, you know, any discrepancy could be explained by the fact that she had a breakdown and, you know, that understandable.
1: And nobody's going to ask too many careful questions um, exactly. around a narrative of a... S- sensitive topic. Yeah, of a mental breakdown.
0: Uh, what's interesting, as
2: you said, is that perfectly reasonable that Sam is there because it's a murder. But it's originally it's a a surprise... It's his murder. It's murder, his murder. Well, yeah. The murder he's assigned to. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's his murder
3: fa-
0: case.
2: But the fact that Frank is there is unusual, seemingly because, essentially, from his perspective, his undercover... has been found dead or at least a person assuming that identity and so he feels obliged to be involved
0: so when so whenever this um identity was looked up it was supposed to be it was flagged to be uh told to frank that Mm -hmm. somebody was looking for her so Mm -hmm. it's a little weird it's like the um i have been working my way through and i don't even know why anymore but ncis (laughs) um and there's literally an At least one episode where they somebody has taken over the undercover identity of one of the agents and it gets flagged because you know whoever was put on notice that if anybody searches for this identity that you know these this handful of people should be notified Mm -hmm. um and i was just like oh well this is uh this seems like a very familiar story um but but yeah which one came out first I'm pretty sure the likeness came out first by a reasonable amount. I think the likeness might have even preceded Ncis, but that's um, not impossible. Yeah, the the thing that I found kind of interesting here and 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 sort of unsurprising is like it has to be like very insular. That you know only the characters that are necessary. You're not going to introduce some random other character that you know they got flagged because it was their you know undercover agent. Because then you're just introducing characters that that are unnecessary to the plot. But mm-hmm. it also like at the same time it it feels a little like oh well of course it's him. Well, the, but not uh, everybody can beat uh, George R. R. Martin. So. <laughs>
2: Well, the, the intrusion of Frank into this story provides more than a bit of a destabilizing element. Because Frank is a guy that always has a plan, and that plan involves the single most death-defying, daredevil, risky possible maneuver to solve a situation, and then convincing other people to go along with it. And that's exactly what he does here. Yeah,
1: yeah I kind of Frank is like a little Frank. bit of a chaos agent. Yes.
2: <laughs> Frank is clear. Frank is doing this for kicks. Solving the actual crime is
3: secondary.
1: Yeah, Frank does not actually seem that interested in solving the actual crime, but he does seem interested in the fact that, like, all of a sudden, he has the possibility of sending an undercover agent in as a dead woman. Yes, Um,
0: like the perfect undercover story and person for it and everything else. Um, I also feel like I like Frank more than... i hate frank so
3: much (laughs) (laughs) i
0: despise the man but
2: it's i I, one thing i adore is that when cassie just confronts him really but why do you want to do this sam's a good detective he'll solve this thing his open admitted justification is because wouldn't it be awesome yes he's not trying to hide anything (laughs) here he just thinks this would be really really cool to pull off and so Ethics be damned, practicality be damned, risk to agent and the, all the well, other so innocent we're, we're not, victims. We're not, we're
0: not, we're not even there yet, Spencer. Okay. So it's a, you know, give us 72 hours, lay <laughs> low, we're, you know, we're, we're gonna circulate the information that she survived the stabbing, and in that time, Sam's gonna go track down every lead that he can, mm-hmm. and, you know, and then we'll go from there.
1: Yeah. And if you decide not to participate, she will have tragically died in the <laughs> intensive care in the hospital. unit. Yes. yes. Um, you,
2: at, you can see the skill of Frank's manipulation, uh, honed arts that he wields as part of being an undercover detective, where he's consistently setting, he's, he's consist- consistently appearing to compromise while at the same time moving the goalposts farther.
0: Yes. And I think that, that she mentions Party. this. Well said. Um, That basically he gives a concession or or makes a suggestion that seems so reasonable that if you were to throw up your hands at that point, Mm -hmm. you seem like the asshole. Right. The concession
2: still being 40% in favor favor of the direction he already wants you to go in.
0: Right. Um, And so um, this is sort of where we first get a little bit of a sense of place in her apartment. Mm Mm-hmm and because she's stuck there for uh, for three days and she only has two visitors in that time and um spencer i feel like you i feel like you're sam <laughs> i i felt that more than once when reading yes <laughs> um so so initially she gets visited by frank i believe um, mm-hmm. And they have a couple bottles of wine, and and sort of go over um, who Lexi is and now um, right. basically what yeah. the, some of the information that they know about her, some of the pictures and and things like that, um, and yep. she sort of vaguely agrees to hear him out and kind of says, you know, screw you, I I have absolutely no interest. And he's like, well, how about, like, you come meet with us on Sunday evening when, you know, we're putting everything together and we're going over, like, what we actually have. Yeah, it's
2: apparent from this early scene, and she calls him out on it again, that uh, though he's presenting this as that, oh, I know we're letting Sam take point, I'm sure he'll solve it. Again, if you don't want to get involved in this, it's fine. But for a guy that's just putting this forward as a casual idea that they'll maybe talk about and agree a couple days from now, he busted he's got out the really
1: of, nice wine.
0: What'd you say? He busted out some nice wine.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and some <laughs> he, some he, very arresting photographs.
2: Yes. He's got photographs. He's got pages of notes. This is not a person who's look this is a person who's already invested to a point of where he knows what the end result is going to be. Mm-hmm. And she realizes this, but keeps going along with it
0: yeah and it's one of the things that she brings up at some point that is he rarely asks questions that he doesn't already know the answer to mm-hmm. to lead people to the end that he wants them to get to
2: mm-hmm. this is also one of the first moments of where she's starting to realize how compelling she's finding this in ways that she's almost frustrated by of yeah. where a she's compelled that this person is her doppelganger this person stepped into what she views as her life the world that she created um While at the same time, she had previously, when she was undercover, felt a bit of the thrill-seeking element of getting involved in this. And given the low point that she's at, given the loss of identity she suffered by exiling herself from murder... She's jumping on this pretty quick, even if she's consciously trying to resist. Yeah, so, one of
1: the interesting things, um, sorry, BJ, um, one of the interesting things kind of about these conversations is exactly as you say, the like very, very quick jump that um, Cassie makes to the just uncanniness um, and the kind of doubling and twinning that she feels with with Lexi, um, and that happens like really early on. And I mean, mm-hmm. part of it is due to the fact that you see someone who is like your physical double dead on the floor. Um, and I mean, I guess <laughs> but you know, it continues, and this is something that that Frank plays on, but I don't know that Frank really knows Mm-mm. we we get a real insider's perspective. Um, to exactly how much this is affecting Cassie um, in ways that Frank can't possibly know. He can guess at them a little bit and play on them a little bit. But, like, this is really deep-seated from the very beginning, um, how drawn she is to this idea that she has this double, um, that, you know, she has no idea what's happened to her. And I think that that's, that's one of the really... A lot of this first third of the book is is slow and a little plotting and a little not super well developed but um that sense of kind of unkempt and like this this natural draw um i think is is really well done
0: so i guess i wanted to ask both of you your perspectives because i guess i feel like you would identify with them a little bit more which is um sarah i wanted to ask you about how you felt about uh, Frank's manipulation of Cassie cuz it just it just felt trite to me mm-hmm. um, and i guess it it sort of felt like Tana French was trying to write Cassie as you know this strong character and who's fairly independent and then she just capitulates immediately sort of on everything and there isn't as much a sense of agency in her capitulations that i felt like there should be to justify like the rest of her character,
1: so I think that's I think that's interesting because like I certainly read Cassie as a character in a lot of ways, but I think I, the way I read what Tana French is doing this first part where we are seeing sort of Frank's blatant manipulation, seeing Cassie sort of under that this is blatant manipulation and kind of going along with it anyway, is that like yes, Cassie is a, a strong woman and a um, a good police officer and a good detective. Um, but she, she's really broken in ways that she hasn't acknowledged. Um, and that's why Frank's blatant manipulation works. is lets it because she knows that something... Um, and so I think that she is, from the very beginning, always already going to this assignment for herself. And so she's going to allow Frank to manipulate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I read this as a little bit more... That um, that the, these conversations and these interactions are not really what they appear to be, because Cassie is is trying to convince herself that she is okay in the situation, um, but then also kind of allow herself to be entrapped into the situation to get this this thrill or this closure or the experience or this way out of the rut that she's in. Like there are all kinds of things that she's sort of grappling with here that um, you know Frank's hand handed approach just gives her away to get where she was well
0: yeah I guess I've kind of felt that like it was a it felt more a post hoc justification rather than a I'm gonna do this and his convincing is just sort of playing into something that I already wanted to do Mm -hmm. um and I I think that might just be my reading of it a second time and not doing it as in depth and sort of knowing like what ends up happening and and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Uh, and so Spencer, mm-hmm. I'm going to put you on the hot seat because basically the the next scene is the um, somewhat overprotective boyfriend awkward <laughs> scene that. Uh, when he busts in and
2: finds uh, his girlfriend with Frank and that that scene, is that thing we're talking about.
0: No. <laughs> what's, uh, what's
2: what's what's are going for? Because he does show up when they're do, when they're doing their their talk with each other. Was that does that happen later on in the story? Uh, no,
0: that
1: happens that, in this section.
2: This
0: other, I can't oh. remember if it happens before or after their meeting at headquarters. I think it's it's after because the yeah. before she's cooped up in her apartment and she cleans the whole place and makes dinner, and she's like, I've been all domestic like don't you appreciate it? And he starts right in on work and she was like, Oh, I was hoping to feed him food before we had this conversation because everybody knows that like guys are better and more willing to deal with like things that they don't like when you fed them. What do you want me to add here, BJ? Um, I, I guess I just, the whole interaction just seems a little weird to me. The, their,
2: um, their relationship never works for me. It doesn't. Okay. No, I, He is described and built around being safe for her rather than something that she actually seems to want out of life or actually pushes her, inspires her. He's meant to be comfortable. And the relationship always feels like it is part of her coping rather than something that she's actually striving for. Uh, So yeah, I never really got the two of them. Mm -hmm. I think she even early on in the story seems to understand that and that he what what she was meant for what she'd always built her life around was rob whether it was romantic or just an incredible close friendship and sam is very much a safe rebound um story doesn't end in that direction though which is interesting but i early on throughout the the relationship the two of them had never particularly clicked for me i don't think it particularly clicks for the main character over most of the story
1: yeah and I have theories when we get to it about kind of where this relationship is story. So, you know, to be continued. Um, so oh, the yeah. other thing
0: that I feel like I should mention, and I think is very interesting and I almost want to read more in this, but I'm kind of iffy about it. Um, cause if it, this is sort of the best of the novels, I'm, I'm a little iffy about it. Um, it was entertaining, but I don't know that I want to commit myself to an ongoing series that there are at least six books in. Um, cassie is not a main character she might be mentioned but she's not a main character in any of the other novels oh really the first is that was she a main character in the first yes she was so so she she and rob are in the first one um then frank is in the third um i believe frank is a more recurring character than anybody else Um, i can picture that but essentially from there it goes on to other uh detectives so as i think it's interesting that it's the uh basically the murder department that gets sort of vignettes and then they're like a character that'll be in like two or three books hmm. yeah
1: no that isn't
0: yeah I,
2: th- I think the series is even called the dublin murder squad mysteries right or something it like
1: is. that yes yeah, yeah.
0: and and i kind of assumed that that was going to be like cassie Sam and Frank.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And have this like weird, crappy triangle continue. But um, I'm kind of glad that it is, which, yeah. is mm-hmm. which does make me a little bit more curious to see what was there.
2: All right. Well, it uh, seems like the natural next place to go to is when they go to the uh, uh, headquarters meeting.
0: Yep. Yeah. To the squad room. Um, and so it, it was kind of, well, just before we do that, I think it was kind of funny that um, there was this uh you know i kind of said that i would watch crappy tv for a weekend and do absolutely nothing but instead i cleaned the entire place and did and this really amuses me like and she did a lot of cooking which is like prepare a dinner with like three things it's all relative yeah, yeah. <laughs> she
2: doesn't
3: and she's very proud of cook. herself
2: too
0: yeah yeah um and that makes me think that town of french doesn't cook <laughs> because um God, I remember one New Year's or something like that where I think between the two of us, Lee and I just like made like seven or eight dishes while drinking for most of the day. And it was kind of like, uh, we have more time. What about like making this and, yeah. and this and this? And then I think by the evening, we we're just like, uh, I don't know that we want to eat. It's been a lot of whiskey. Um, I think the rest of us were eating around you as you went. <laughs> But yeah, it was just like a very funny scene to me that, that like, and that she's cooped up and shows she's like super productive. And that's sort of what the outcome of her super productive.
1: Well, it does seem like her apartment is very clean. Um, yes, but I will say that I think, I think you're right, BJ, and kind of to your point, like we, Terry and I, Lee and I got back from Asheville, <laughs> I don't know, um, at like at one o'clock yesterday. And, um. I had to go run an errand um, after we got back. And by the time I got back, there was like a braised lamb shank and a risotto. (laughs) (laughs) What just happened here? (laughs) Um, So yeah, uh, much more productive things can be done Mm. um, in a 72-hour period in an apartment when that amount of cooking productivity can happen. In a sort of three-hour period.
2: I don't picture our main character as being a homebody by nature. No, I wouldn't
1: Uh, think so. She seems very frustrated at this sort of enforced... um, Isolation?
2: Yeah. 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 And the the reason for this forced imprisonment is essentially that they want to Frank is starting to already try to build up the idea that you're going to go undercover this this is the story we're going to go she's in the hospital therefore you can't be seen on the streets because it could mess with mess with the story we want to create
3: mm-hmm.
2: he's already painting the picture that he wants out of this and that only continues when he takes her off to the off to meet with who who is at this meeting it's the coroner uh, the, her boss her former boss in murder Mm-hmm. Sam and Frank? Is that everyone that's in the room?
0: Uh, I don't know if it was her former boss, but at least somebody who was, like, uh, in the squad itself. Like, I think he mentored Some her superior. when she o- originally came into murder, and then they had a falling out.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, this is one of the scenes where we realize that essentially every, every character in this story before she gets into the house is kind of an asshole. Yeah. Of where this is a... I... I find this a deeply unpleasant scene in a lot of ways just because of how much of jerks all of these men are to our main female character in this police force. Yeah,
0: I guess that's kind of what I was asking about. And I I, thank you, Spencer, for putting it a little bit more bluntly. It's just like, I feel like she's in her head, at least. And and, uh, there are other senses that she's a very strong character. And then everybody's an asshole to her. And she's just, and then when Sam's just like, what the fuck? She's just like, no, it's fine, I can stand up for myself, and then goes along with the asshole. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. but I think, like, I I take your point. I think she's a little bit of an asshole, too. Oh, Um, no. (laughs) So I don't find it entirely, like, unbelievable that actually, in her sort of, I can take care of myself, she actually means to be going along with the assholes. Oh, no. And she
2: seems to very much resent when Sam is trying to protect her from the assholes. She sees this as just being part of one, being forgive the term phrase one of the boys yes that this is this is basic interaction with peers yes uh and this operation is a part of fulfillment of her wishes in her career and his efforts to protect her are not only off-putting they are in no way appreciated over the, over the like the first half of the story mm-hmm. or yeah. probably even more than
0: that until like the last couple chapters yeah um and so i just realized that we do get an introduction to the house before she does the meeting in the uh squad room and so I, oh, p- I just wanted pictures? to, yeah, I just wanted to uh, go over the this part that I highlighted, which was a description of the house. Okay. Please this go. was the real thing. One serious do not fuck with me house with strength and pride and grace to outlast everyone who saw it. Tiny swirling flecks of snow blurred the ivy and uh, hung in the dark windows and the silence of it was so huge that I felt like I could put my hand straight through the glossy surface of the photo and down into its cool depths. Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's interesting BJ you are totally right I feel like I have so a much much better sense of this house throughout this whole book not just in this um description but throughout the book I have a much better sense of the house than I do of like who Sam is or who Daniel is or who Abby is like really any of the um you're absolutely right that this sense of place is crucial to kind of making this book work. It's,
2: it's a yeah. really good point, because I think of all of our, quote-unquote, characters of the course of the story, uh, it's White Thorn House, is that the name of the house? I'm trying to remember right now. That sounds right. It's White something. White, the white I'll call white it White Wolf. Thorn for nothing. Sure, that works. <laughs> white, the White Blank House. That, and oddly enough, the created character and doppelganger Lexi, yes. those are the characters we actually get a reasonable idea of. Their history, their motivations, what's compelling them. Everybody else, I can kind of summarize in about three or four words. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I think she does, and this is what I was saying about talking about place. Um, So when, and I guess I wanted to preface the the going into the murder squad with, you know, what the description of that place was. Um, When he unlocked the door, the smell of the building came at me like a shout. An old elusive smell damp and smoke and lemon nothing like the antiseptic tang of dv and the new building up in phoenix park i hate nostalgia it's laziness with prettier accessories but every step hit me straight in the gut with something me running down those stairs with a bunch of files in each hand and an apple cup between my teeth my partner and me high-fiving each other outside that door after getting our first confession in that interview room the two of us double-teaming the superintendent down the hall, ho- down that hallway, one in each ear trying to hassle him into giving us more overtime. It seemed like the corridors had an Escher look, the walls all tilting in subtle seasick ways, but I couldn't focus my eyes enough to figure out exactly how. I feel like her descriptions of place and what they are are the best thing about this book, <laughs> and... Then there's a lot of intervening talking to get there. <laughs> ah, um, there's, there's, there's some particularly good talking in the middle third of this. No, there's, yeah, probably... yeah,
1: there's some good talking. Like the, the and what, I know we'll talk about it more in the second episode. But like the the interactions kind of in the house, particularly mm-hmm. before things start to go like actually sideways. sideways. Yeah. Um, like that and you know it's interesting because like I actually I think that those interactions as successful they are as they are really rely on the place itself um, yep. to kind of make them work which is which is interesting but there is this like, I totally fell into this um, kind of romanticized life that Cassie as Lexi also starts to fall into. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was totally like, you know, we could spend the rest of this book just having like nice conversations (laughs) and sort of drinks on the terrace and playing cards. And like, I'm fine with that. I know that's not what's gonna happen, but I would be okay (laughs) Mm -hmm. if that was what happened.
2: Yeah, the author does an excellent job of making you invested in the romance of that place. Yes. Of where you, bulk of the characters over the course of the story have decided to dedicate their lives to this place and the life they want to build around it. And the author does for like the middle third of this book really invest you in that and then start to show the cracks. Start yeah. to yeah. show how it's fraying. Start to show how this is very much a fiction that they put on themselves that can't live much longer. Um, but, Sarah, I will grill you hard on whether the author accurately describes the subject of an English graduate experience. I
1: have many things to <laughs> say on this, not this but <laughs> Again, second episode. Yeah,
0: um, second episode, and and but for I, right now. I think one of the other things that I just want to bring up now before I forget, and I'll try and remember to revisit it in maybe the next two episodes, is um, we talk about a romanticization of a place and uh, the you know the bonds that the the group of people share and and how she sort of inserts herself in that um and it it's funny how true it is mm-hmm. we literally have a podcast channel that is mm-hmm. named after the mm-hmm. dorm that pretty much all of us lived in or at least like were around when we were in college almost 15 years ago Yep it's it's such an interesting line you said too I love the line when she
2: says about nostalgia mm-hmm. um, she really vehemently talks about how she can't stand nostalgia, says it several times over the course of this book and I think it's true because she is a character does not have a past that she can retreat comfortably into mm-hmm. all she has is these imaginings and fiction but it's interesting that as she starts to build those and as she gets invested in this particular house, she kind of creates her own form of nostalgia or at least wish fulfillment about what she wants that life to be and what it yep. could be but to get there, we have a lot, we, have, we, we still not even yes. in
0: the damn house yet. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, we're not so. going to get there this episode. So... But murder or, room Not really Yes, yeah, so, so the murder room So she walks into this murder room And it's filled with
1: Can we the, not call it the murder room?
0: <laughs> the murder The murder squad room The, the, in the where they're, room I think yeah, they're Holding the <laughs> meeting You know, with whiteboards And, and uh, you know, probably in not quite old school projector <laughs> Does this make, or does Ireland circa 2004
2: Feel like a lot farther back in time? Of where I mean Two thousand four was kind of far back in time. I mean, it, it's true, but this story, from most of its descriptions, could be other than the cell phones could comfortably be back in the eighties. Not, I mean, not helped by these scenes of just straight up um, chauvinism that we get particularly in the squad room.
0: I mean, she did use her cell phone a lot to take videos, and no, no, no I,
2: acknowledge I acknowledge that element of technology is more modern.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I guess there isn't much to me that changes a lot of things between the 80s and like with a lot of the stuff that they're dealing
1: with i guess Mm -hmm. especially because of this very handy and i'm sure we'll talk about this in the second episode as well but with this very handy like sort of no technology moratorium that is put into white house um and kind of taken up as a way of life by its residents um and so you kind of allied a lot of the uh, technological issues discussion all of that for like the vast majority of this book i feel like
0: we're gonna have to talk a little bit about the house recently moved away from when we talk (laughs) about (laughs) that
1: Um, that was not a that was not a chosen social contract
0: (laughs) well sure but the technologically (laughs) you know impairment um and Necessitations therein.
1: (laughs) Yes. There were moments. Yeah. Uh,
2: Yeah. This meeting is Frank's show. This is his meeting of where he can convince the powers that be that this is an operation that needs to occur. And his two main ways of doing that seem to be putting Sam on the spot that he's not solved the murder in 48 hours. And. What? Is it 72? Yeah. Okay, fine. I've, I've been, I think I just watched an episode of that show the first 48 a couple of days ago. Sorry, <laughs> it's still in my mind. No, um, okay. So proving that Sam has not solved the murder and has no leads, and then providing them, from his framing, their only viable alternative of just how shocking the two look alike. And that from that kind of framing, which again he does in both a ham-handed and
0: also kind of skillful kind of
2: way, he presents this as the only means that they have available of solving this murder.
0: Yeah. I, when you started to say skillful, I thought you might have been going skeezy, but it, it, <laughs> it was like works a 50-50. Well, yep. a...
1: I've got
2: a lot of adjectives for Frank, very few of them positive. <laughs> um, and but... so
1: there is a very uncomfortable scene where, oh, like, uh-huh. <laughs> the, um, I suppose, the the picture of Lexi is kind of up on the projector, and Frank is having Cassie go stand kind of in profile and front forward in front of this projector of this dead girl who looks exactly like her um, yep. and, and they're like, oh. very clinically pointing out sort of like shapes of ears and things like what yeah what are we shoulders, doing
0: shoulders yeah yeah, and, yeah. And, and and then the like introspection was also just like am I really like standing up here like <laughs> I'm praying my bra size yep. to a dead girl Yep. and and it just didn't go anywhere, and I think that's my the biggest frustration, especially since it was so long ago when I initially read this, and now I'm rereading it, mm-hmm. and so it's easier to... It's harder to get lost in the story because I know what the story is and easier to pick up on all of the other things. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, And I feel like there are some books that suffer for, from that more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one has such an entrancing story that... I feel like I glossed over some of the weirder things because there were long chapters and I wanted to get to like the actual installation of the undercover and everything else Mm -hmm. and so now going back through it and I know where our first episode's gonna end I'm just like oh and that happened oh oh that's (laughs) weird oh yeah no it seems almost like the first third of this book is just designed
2: to set up that her life is cold and disconnected yeah. and that she's not having much in the way to leave behind as she's going off into this new world to get immersed into the closest thing she has to a sport network is sam who is nice but kind of devoid of personality and a workaholic and never around um and otherwise she's got frank a emotional emotionally manipulative narcissist uh, a boss that seems to exist for no other purpose than to chew out her ass, and what? A coroner I, who? What? I don't sorry. think
0: her boss shows up.
2: Well, sorry, the, her former boss in murder. Yeah, the, yeah, the guy, whoever, the guy that's in, that yeah. sort of has yeah, nothing
0: yeah. to do with anything.
2: His job is to be an asshole. His job yeah. is to be a stereotypical the chief. Um, but this is this is her co. Cowork- these are her coworkers. This is her world. She is dissatisfied with it. It is cold. It is. As you said, the main purpose of this scene is to be incredibly awkward in having them diligently describe the particular inch measurements of her thigh as she's standing up on stage before them being actively compared to a corpse.
0: Yeah, this is but the world guess,
2: she's living in. But it's
0: not. Hmm? But it's not the world that she's living in. It's seemingly her perspective on it, at least what the author wants to paint yeah, for us. Yeah, which, which again, like, is weird because she says that, like, this is completely different than DV, domestic violence where she's mm-hmm. been spending her True. time up, up until operation Vestal. And so it's like, well, here's a complete departure from my normal life. And this de- com- complete departure is awful. So obviously I have to go undercover.
1: No, yeah, but she so- likes this so much more. Yeah. Like she, yeah. she likes this. Right. Right.
2: She likes that this is stimulating. She likes that this is new and exciting. This is a drive. Yeah. This is a, a, a... That seems to be what it is for. She talks about how utterly despicable, utterly frustrating it is, and then in the same thought talks about how excited this makes her feel again, how alive she's starting to feel again. She's... her purposely monastic life that she's put herself in DV clearly is not fulfilling to her, and even this kind of toxic experience is a better alternative.
1: Yeah, and this Still, is, this does is not make for a healthy can, life. Yeah. Yeah, this is a woman who needs a dog, but uh, <laughs> that's what Sam is. All right, yes, this is in woman many ways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what Frank is. Okay. Oh. So. <laughs>
0: okay.
2: Uh, does that does that does that make the coroner? What does that make the coroner? A parrot or something? Um, we can we can assign all the characters in her life to pets. We can do this. Cockatiel. <laughs> Co- yeah. Oh,
1: Cockatiel's a good He's, one. Mm. And all then right. uh, we make it through <laughs> this scene. <laughs>
2: we make it through this scene and then for pretty much the next quite a few pages up until they insert her in the hospital uh, she's just kind of training for the role that she now is accepted
0: that she wants. Mm -hmm. Yeah and I guess training seems a little weird for it. She's just like immersing herself in all of the videos and pictures and everything else and learning the life yeah learning a life and um, I just I feel like everybody's life is so boring that it would be just awful to try and do this. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there are vaguely interesting things. But I mean, yeah, there are probably some celebrities where I guess this would be vaguely interesting. But I feel like most people it's just like, seriously, you do that for like 20 hours a week or more? Like, why do I have to do that? That sounds awful. There's a lot like, of moments that I you know, have to if somebody were to take f- over Spencer's life, it's just mm. like, how, how much time do I have to spend on Wikipedia? <laughs> <laughs> More than you would think, sir. More than you would think.
2: <laughs> but I think like the first third of this book really sets up that uh, Cassie is not a healthy individual. Yes. Uh, she is deeply damaged. There is a void in her that she is trying to fill with whatever she can and right now the answer to that you know cosmic emptiness inside of her is in immersing herself in an entirely different life and it is a kind of escapism it is a kind of avoidance of the problems that are inherent to her and there's a lot of this of where um, she really actively makes fun of the psychiatrist that the, the department tries to assign to her to get her some help. Uh, but she is a person that should never ever be allowed to be assigned to what she's doing who
0: probably shouldn't be allowed an active duty
2: right
3: sure.
0: now i mean but... i guess the, there's the other side of it that i also find kind of funny that like her not quite finished bachelor is good enough to do like psych profiles and full yeah. psychiatrists and that was just a it's little relative. bit yeah um but again I, that... I feel i feel like this is another there are many examples of the author has a very good idea for a fun story and that's the last two-thirds or at least the middle like 60 percent of the book mm-hmm. well,
2: frank is such ai uh, am gonna, gonna use the word bigoted because it's true whatever particular description i want to go from here but he finds a way of stereotyping and finding a grudge against all people around him so i think that his continual references to her you know period of college is just his way of just accepting the fact that she has a natural skill at this in terms yeah. of profiling, rather than any particular education.
1: Yeah, and it does seem to be, like, for rightly or wrongly, um, like, part of that kind of natural ability does seem explained in the confines of the story of um, her kind of early losing of her parents and not really fitting in yeah. and kind of having to be an observer. Yeah,
2: yeah. and it's a, part of the reason that she's such a good undercover is yeah. that she's able to so effectively read those around her and adapt accordingly and understand what they're going for and motivated by. But i'm drawing a blank right now of what really happens up until the moment we're back in the hospital other than she receives a lot of training she has a variety of increasingly tense and unsupportive conversations with sam and she gets immersed into the concept of lexi was there any other key scene in here
0: um i think the biggest one is like i think uh frank like gives her a final exam kind of thing and then gives her a bunch of gear to go undercover with and they figure out how to her, like hide her the wire and stuff like that yeah um with her bandages
2: and that that very rigid kind of brassiere like thing that they got wrapped around her too
1: yeah which seems terrible <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably is um so i think the last thing that i really wanted to talk about in this episode and we'll probably touch it on it again is Do you think something like this and other than like having to deal with the boring stuff would be entertaining at all or is this just like this is like the worst thing ever you know do you see it as a game like how long can i fool these people and would that be fun um have you ever like gone into a group of people not even as like you know a double but like to play a character that that isn't sort of really you
2: Uh, never without the other people knowing and that's one of the biggest difficulties for me about what she's doing of where the ethics of the manipulation that she's going through with other people that from her perspective or at least limits of her knowledge are other fellow victims essentially of their friend's murder is just horrifying to me
0: well she does say that she doesn't lie to them
2: oh bull fucking (laughs) shit the sheer fact that she's there is a lie the sheer identity she has assumed, and what
0: in effect that has on them is own a lie. Fake identity. She's just taking it up not, again. Spencer. Not
2: to them. They the fake identity was embodied and encapsulated in an entirely different existing persona the moment it left her and was built around this new lexicon. Uh, it yeah. The, what she is doing, and she acknowledges, of course, the story, particularly later on, is fundamentally harmful, not only to them whatever the role in the crime they may turn out to have, but also to herself in a lot of ways.
1: And I think, you know, the, it gets so weird with Franks on kind of going into this plot sheerly for his own- Kicks. Kicks, enjoyment, like whatever. Um, like this is a pretty straightforward case at the end of it, right? Yeah. Um, like this is something that Sam probably would've solved. Am it, I wrong it's one there? Of those things
2: no 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 if there if there is a murder the first people you talk to are the people that live around them because they probably did it
0: yeah um i feel like there was a lot of you know uh cassie's like i'm not gonna tell them about this because i want to keep playing around yeah Um, and also kind of what feels like they didn't do due diligence on a lot of things to find out a lot of these things beforehand and it is a lot of it is written off that it these are a lot of insular communities and things like that. That's their so, biggest justification, yeah. And honestly, like, I can imagine that being the case. Like, I literally cannot imagine trying to have a conversation with people very nearby many places that I've lived and having that be productive. Like, I feel like I could have gone 50 miles outside of the triangle in literally any direction and... And almost anybody that I talk to would just be like, who the fuck are you? And I'm yeah. not talking to you. Yeah. Um, and like, and- it,
1: it's so interesting because like, and they, they get to this at some points and some of it is alighted by the fact that she looks exactly like this sort of Lexi character. but like Ireland is such a small place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the, the logistics of this are a little bit like, I, mm, I don't, the logistics all like simultaneously don't make sense at all. Um, but then also like the smallness of the place and the relatively few number of people there and the fact that everybody knows everyone is also like partially what made this plot possible in the first place. Yeah, and so
0: I guess I feel like a decent example of the insular nature of small groups of people comes, you know, comes clearer to me from the greatest story that we have as a group and how quickly from something that should have been as straightforward and identifiable as possible, as to a minor crime that was committed, got to Murder? an insanely. What? Murder? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, New York Mike was... punching the. Oh, okay. In the We're, sorry. Bus.
2: I'm, I'm losing myself in stories here. Forgive me.
1: Yeah
0: so so See, the story on the that, weekends
1: episode number yeah
0: <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't even I i think it was uh, our new Year's special where we told that story but basically you know a very minor misdemeanor had been committed and then about 10 of us committed to a weird lie that yeah. didn't like didn't really cover up what happened but made it stupid and not quite (laughs) i wouldn't was already stupid
1: like let's be clear yes it was
0: already (laughs) stupid but like not not impenetrable per se but just like a well we're not gonna get anything out of it
2: it's just one of those things where i thought aiding and abetting would have a more practical and useful purpose than that (laughs) kind of stupidity
0: right um and so i guess the you know sam would have found out what happened i think that i think that's an like, I disagree with that conclusion. I think that Sam would have come to the conclusion that a, some number of people could have done it and it would have ended there. Mm-hmm.
2: It, I think it all depends. I mean, we talked about how the insular community is the main justification behind this. They yes. can't get these college students to talk, that they're too loyal they, to each other. They're they maintaining too much of a rigid wall. the random
0: people in Ireland to talk
2: either. Yeah. But, I mean... Whether he would have been able to solve this or not directly depends on whether you believe that this particular idyllic lifestyle they have at Whitethorn uh, House could have persisted or was naturally already in its dying stages inevitably doomed to fail. Because if what occurred was just encouraged along and sped up by Cassie's intrusion into their midst, uh, or whether it happened as a direct result of her and would not have occurred otherwise, is a key question in my mind about whether one of them inherently would have eventually broken and gone to the police.
1: Sure. And, you know, my, my read and my impression is that, like, the cracks were already there. Um, yeah. That this yeah. was on the downslope. That this... And it, it was from the very beginning. Like, this was always going to be a failed experiment. Mm-hmm. So, well,
0: I guess, I'm not sure what I feel like about the failed experiment part, um, but I definitely... I, I feel like the cracks were there and it never would have Ended peaceably, but I don't... I feel like they wouldn't have gone to the cops. I don't know. They always talked about certain characters, so. and
2: again, we're jumping ahead, but certain characters being the weak link. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I wonder what degree that could have been kept secret forever, because they clearly... Three of the members of that household wanted to talk.
1: Yeah, and listen, I just watched the season finale of Big Little Lies, so I have thoughts on going to the police <laughs> and what that means, so, yeah. you know. Yeah,
2: but... Well, I mean, what's what's wrap up essentially where the plot goes, mirrored to set up what is I feel like the the better second, the better and best second half, uh, second third of this book. <laughs> but they set her up. They basically tell the various members of this household uh, who are remember this uh, Dustin uh, Justin. I was conflating I, two names there. That's <laughs> really
0: funny that you're going with Dustin. Yeah. yeah,
2: Justin, Daniel, Rafe, and Abby, I believe. Yes. That's yes. Right. Hey, all right. Uh, uh, they. Uh, kind of keep them on the hook for a while that oh your friend is in critical condition she's in a coma but she's still alive to then shift to she's out of the coma she's coming home Yes. they equip her they equip Cassie with a surprising amount of fake bandages and fake blood um, wire her up put her in a car with Sam and Frank and drive her through what seems like a rather idyllic countryside to get to the middle of nowhere location where White Thorn is and I don't have a concept of Ireland geography, but this feels, like, pretty far removed from active civilization.
1: Um, yeah, Ireland probably, like, 45-minute drive from, like, Dublin. Maybe, maybe not even. Yeah, like, yeah. Ireland is one of those places that, like, you can go really not far. It's like the triangle. You can go 20 <laughs> minutes in either direction and be in cornfield. Um, right. Civil- yeah. Civilization
2: and the sticks are close, pretty close to each other. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so well, it's it's unclear how far we are, but, like, it could be anywhere from... They do commute into Dub- Dublin.
2: Yeah. So... It, it is definitely the boonies, though, if nothing else, from just the, what yes. police presence they're here. Right. There seems yes. to be no permanent police presence in this town. But even the two officers
0: are just kind of in the same vague county rather than actually in the community. Yes. Um, so, Spencer, I guess I, I feel like I'm gonna, you know, make you talk about this maybe a little bit sort of each time we discuss this, but... Mm-hmm. Um, since you were uh, on the wrong side of the law, um, <laughs> go on. It just the amount of effort that seems to go into this case by the number of man hours just God, seems yeah. a little like silly. And I guess <laughs> that that's kind of no. my impression of like if she hadn't gone undercover, like Sam would have talked to them one more time and just been like, well we don't have any leads, I guess that's it.
2: Yeah, one of the biggest willful suspensions of disbelief I have across this whole story, and Sarah, you mentioned logistics. For me, it's just the sheer cost of the operation they're proposing.
1: Yeah, it's so funny because, like, Frank seems to have this, like, weirdly unlimited budget that is just for undercover, (laughs) but he also seems to have nothing else to do in undercover, and so all of his budget is going to this, but where is the budget coming from? Because he doesn't have anything to do.
2: Yeah. What, what is Frank's job? They're at this entire story. Is he just sit? is he literally spending three weeks just sitting in an office with an earpiece in, listening nonstop to Cassie? It seems that way.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think that there are other people that do like take turns doing it. But again, it's just like this is kind of crazy to me and the amount of manpower that's on, you know, uh, murder like right next to Dublin that, you know, people are being pulled in for. So, um, yeah thank you spencer for for assuaging my this is completely insane no it, it from a budget standpoint it's utterly
2: it's utterly ridiculous they never would have authorized this scale of an operation for a single forgive me no single no name murder it that it just isn't going to happen yeah i do, i don't believe the undercover department i don't believe he'd get permission from the undercover department to do it much less murder much less just the sheer amount of time and commitment of all of these different agents to make this work. Your assignment to this would be Sam.
0: That would be it. He might have uh, a partner, but probably not. How big does, like, a department need to be to have, like, an undercover department or group? I mean, because... The the implication I feel like here is that there is essentially one overarching police
2: department in Ireland.
0: Or at least Dublin, or the Dublin area, which, you know, it could be, like you know, I, I guess that that makes a little bit more sense to me. But like, I, my concept of real life undercover is essentially only colored by the insanity that is TV shows and books. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, I just can't imagine that that's a thing on in in real life, because every other depiction of any other profession is completely goofy. Um,
2: well, one thing I find fascinating is this is a major difference in laws between Ireland and the U.S. But they say several times over the course of this that confessions that they get on tape aren't admissible. That's it, not how it
0: works in the U.S. Even
2: undercover? No, you can, we, we regularly will ins- you, police officers will regularly like insert undercover officers into jail cells with the suspect. Interesting. Yeah, so you, that an officer does like not.
1: Some sort of Miranda rights or something like that. Like what? How does
2: that work? I mean, it can be debatable when they're in a jail cell because at that point, they're formally under arrest. But otherwise, your Miranda rights only apply when you're being taken into custody. There's no Miranda rights if you're just talking with an officer. It's just It'd be the same if you're talking with another citizen. And police officers, by Supreme Court precedent, are allowed to lie to you. So, yeah, that's that's just a major difference in law. Yeah. So that that was an interesting difference of law between apparently Ireland and the U.S. that what they get in Undercover essentially can just be background that they then can browbeat suspects with rather than something they can just straight up admit in court.
0: So why don't cops have, like, super low-budget pretend law offices that take on clients and just, you know, I just lied to you that, that I'm an attorney. I'm not uh,
2: actually an attorney. If they actually market it to you, uh, it's entrapment, and then it wouldn't be admissible then. It needs to be a conscious effort of the other person coming to you or ask, mm. getting you involved in the plot. The more you are directly causing it to happen in a way it wouldn't without your intrusion that it that, that gets not be admissible. Gotcha. That that's the line. It's like if I if you come to me to buy explosives and I help you then build them, that's one thing. If I come to you and say, "Hey, I want to sell you explosives," that's entrapment. That's the kind of line. It's Spencer, what degree are you caused the plot.
0: Getting into explosives?
2: No. <laughs> no. No more than so- no more than the average Floridian. Uh, fair <laughs> no, enough. That doesn't make me feel like any <laughs> better. <it. laughs> But I, mean, I think we can effectively wrap up from here. Of where we yeah. get this interesting scene of them driving to the particular house, of her getting out of the car, and then a prolonged staring contest of where she's just wondering
0: where everything's about to go to shit. And yeah, that's um, where and we can pick up. Yeah, we get sort of our first official introduction to uh, to the house. And and what
2: will be for? Again, we can describe our uh, the. Four major inhabitants of this house, pretty simply, but they are an interesting collection and pairing of characters. Mm-hmm. They do have unique traits, which are
0: interesting to talk about. Yes. Yep, and some fun interactions, and that uh, I think will be our next episode. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, oh. In the meantime, DJ, where can people find us?
0: I was going to say, are we doing a full role reversal, or am I just <laughs> doing all the heavy lifting? <laughs> oh, I've,
1: I've got you. <laughs> Um, so, st- if you would like to know, sorry, PJ, <laughs> Spencer, go ahead.
2: No, go on ahead. This is fun.
1: Um, so if- we
2: are exploring identity here in our own podcast. <laughs>
3: Spencer, are it? you
0: enjoying those laurels?
2: I am slipping cream soda and just so happy. Oh
1: God, that's oh, that, gross. The worst. <laughs> It's just,
2: it's its like someone took vanilla ice cream and melted it into a bottle. It's the oddest thing.
1: Well, on that note, if you would like to find more of our content, in which Spencer talks about the weird things that he's drinking, um, hmm. you can go to our website at mangumtalks.com. Um, we have a variety of other podcasts that we do. I don't, but, you know, the collective. Um, so there is Mangum Talks TV, which has just come out with its first episode on Chernobyl. I believe, um, Spencer, you're doing another episode a week. Is that right? Wednesday yep um so look out for episode two of that that is the predecessor to um got questions podcast um there is also whiskey on the weekends which has had a slew of new episodes come out recently um there is Mangum Laughs with BJ and um which feels really weird to say so. <laughs> <laughs> necessary fiction go on um and then there is also Mangum Hoops um with Lee and Levi um and for all of those podcasts, you can find them on whatever podcast app you use, whether it's the Funny little Purple Apple Icon or Stitcher or Podcast Addict. Um, but on any of those platforms, if you could rate and review us, that would be great. That really shows up, us up the charts and um, makes a real difference on people finding us.
2: Yeah, and if you have any questions or any of the topics you want us to answer or even books to recommend in the future, we are, well, not me, but presumably PJ is reading these things and will direct them to me by whatever acceptable means of technology I will actually read.
1: Although, since yes. I'm doing the outro, maybe this week I'm reading all correspondence and. Uh, we are going not full to on it.
2: undercover work in this.
1: Um, so, until next time, we will hopefully reread what this book is about and um, get back with the rest of White Thorn. Well, guys, it was
2: was a pleasure. It is an interesting book to discuss, uh, and I'm looking forward to the next two parts of it. Yeah, me too. All
1: right.
0: Have a good night, guys.